0: again friends and welcome on in to a a well we won't say a triumphant return but a return of the sco show mark Schofield back in the big chair for today monday april 4th 2022 it's been a while friends it's been a while but we are back i was not going to leave you in the lurch as the draft approaches and of course we've got a couple of weeks now until the 2022 nfl draft and so we are back we're going to be doing some Recap of the off season today. We're going to talk about what the Patriots did. We're going to talk top quarterbacks in the draft. This piece, this show is dropping on the day my top 11 drops over at USA Today's Touchdown Wire. So we'll touch on that briefly. We're going to talk about some other offseason stuff at the start. But before we do anything, your usual cavalcade of reminders followed on with the hijinks on the bird app at Mark Schofield, USA Today's Touchdown Wire. Big Blue View, Bleeding Green Nation, Blogging the Boys, Pat's Pulpit here at the SCO Show. Got a lot of places to catch up with me. I've been doing a show talking the draft with Connor Livesy over at Blogging the Boys. It's been really cool. Uh, We've been getting a chance to talk with uh, some prospects for the draft. So I'd invite you to check those shows out. It's, yes, a Cowboy-centric podcast, but because of my status as a, a Patriots fan... We touch on the Patriots pretty much every show. Uh, Recently, we talked to Trey McBride, the Colorado State tight end. We talked with Alec Pierce, uh, the Cincinnati wide receiver, who we'll talk about in Wednesday's show. A little teaser there. Also, we got a chance to talk to Kobe Dean. Um, That interview will be dropping a little bit later, the Georgia linebacker. So I know a lot of Patriots fans are very interested in Dean, the athletic linebacker from the National Champions. And So you can check that show out when it drops as well. So some cool stuff that I've been doing. Obviously, look. I said you know we took some time away here, had a lot of other stuff going on in addition to draft stuff, but things have sort of normalized to this point. So we're ready to roll uh, for some shows as we lead into the draft. I do want to thank those of you that reached out uh, to see if everything was okay. Things are stabilized. Um, that's where we're at with that. So we can continue. As I said, a little bit later we're going to talk patriot-centric stuff. In the third segment of the show, we're going to talk draft quarterbacks. I know it's not a Patriots need, but we'll touch on that to wind things down but i did want to sort of talk this off season and sort of three what i think were somewhat seismic events and we'll sort of work through these in chronological order and i because i think the first two events we're going to talk about have really shaped the off season and the third is something that sort of bridges the gap to the first two and then we're going to wind the show down with with a look at these draft quarterbacks now that first seismic event I think was the Bills Chiefs divisional round game because in in talking to people around the league and talking to people at the Combine which we'll get to in a second and talking to people since the Combine on, on different shows and sort of behind the scenes reaching out to people that, that I know and trust in the sort of football evaluation world, football media world and, and other places it seems like That Bills-Chiefs divisional round game was this seismic event that has shaped the way people are thinking about the quarterback position. It's basically another reminder that if you aren't sure if you have a guy that can do what we saw Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes do in that game, then you better be looking. You better be looking at either upgrading the, the quarterback position itself or if you're a team that has a younger quarterback on that cost-controlled rookie deal. And at the start of that deal, you have to do the things around that player to try to get them to that that level of execution and proficiency. And if you don't have the ability to add around a cost-controlled rookie, then you're back in that first boat, which is you're looking to upgrade. Because I I think that Bills-Chiefs game has reminded us that if you have a quarterback that can drive a team down the field in 13 seconds, you're in good shape. If you have a quarterback that can create outside the pocket, off of structure, with elite-level arm talent and athleticism, you're in good shape. If not, you need to find that player. And so I think that was, in many ways, the first sort of seismic event of this offseason. The second, the Los Angeles Rams winning the Super Bowl has sort of shifted the conversation from a draft-centric focus for most teams to building their roster and constructing their roster to a maybe proven talent is where we need to go from a roster construction standpoint. And we've seen some of that bleed into this offseason. We've seen teams like the Miami Dolphins decide, look, you know, we'll go get a Tyreek Hill. You know, we'll add other veterans at positions of need. Denver Broncos you know, and, and this is going to bleed into the third sort of event. Um, we need to figure out quarterback. We're going to go get a proven starter. Similar to what the Los Angeles Rams did last offseason where they went out and got Matthew Stafford and now they've won a Super Bowl. We're going to go out and get Russell Wilson. We're going to mortgage some future draft capital uh, as a cost of doing business there. And we're going to go get that veteran quarterback because we believe as an organization, we are one piece away and it's the quarterback position. And to the first point, if you don't have that guy, you got to go get him. And so those were the first two sort of events. But then there was a third that I think has really sort of shaped the latter half of the offseason free agency period and sort of gets us into the draft cycle. As I mentioned, I was at the combine, uh, my second combine. Um obviously we didn't have a combine last draft cycle because of uh, of COVID. But it was my second combine, it was a fantastic experience. The combine this year, very much had a reunion feel to it. You know, uh got a chance to see a lot of people in the football media world, a lot of people that I've done shows with um, for the first time in a long time. And so there are a lot of awkward hugs. There are a lot of you know, awkward high fives. Um, But it was good to see a lot of people. It was good to sort of get back out on the road for that. Now, I landed in Indianapolis at 1 in the afternoon on Tuesday. And that was the first day of media appearances by coaches and general managers and the beauty of traveling to indianapolis and the combine being in indianapolis is i landed like one o'clock and at 145 i've got my credential and i'm walking into the media area where you've got the podium set up i mean it's you land you get your uber you check into your hotel you walk over to the convention center which is just two blocks away from lucas oil stadium and two blocks away from where i stay each time i go out there and you're already on the ground you're off and running But I'm walking in to the media area where the podiums are set up and you've got Radio Row and then the adjacent room and all that fun stuff. And Chris Ballard, the Colts general manager, is walking out. And he's red-faced. He's sweaty. He's surrounded by people who are frantically trying to get more quotes from him. And I'm like, I must have missed something. And Ballard's usually good for a couple of good quotes along the way, and certainly how the Colts' regular season sort of ended with that collapse down the stretch and the loss at Jacksonville. You know, there were a lot of questions that he probably felt he needed to answer. And so I walk into the, the media area, and I'm like asking around, i like, what, what did I miss? And people were like, man, Ballard just absolutely obliterated Carson Wentz, destroyed him, tore him to shreds. And I'm like, what, what, what do you mean? Like, well, he basically said that, like, he can't handle coaching. He can't handle criticism. He told us that he, you know, spent an hour on the phone with Carson Wentz and told him that, you know, you need to be able to handle criticism. You need to be able to sort of take coaching better. Like, you got to be able to accept hard coaching at times. you got to hit the layups when you're in the pocket. Like, you can't miss easy checkdowns. And just tore him limb from limb at the podium to the point where people are just like, what is Indianapolis going to do now? What are the Colts going to do at the quarterback position? Because it's clear you don't trust this guy. It's clear you're going to have to move on from him. But what team in their right mind is going to now trade for this guy? What team in their right mind is going to say, Yeah, that guy you stood at the podium and just destroyed for about 45 minutes straight. We would like to trade for him, please. What happens a week later? The Washington Commanders sit in at the 11th position in the draft theoretically within striking range of any quarterback in this draft class. After hearing Chris Ballard take a verbal blowtorch to Carson Wentz, trades a pair of picks, one of which can escalate to a second, and takes on his entire contract. As all that was playing out in Indianapolis, every time you were at dinner, were at prime 47, high velocity, the conversation immediately would turn to particularly if I was in the room or I was in the group, the quarterback position. It's just the way it happens. Quarterbacks move the needle. I'm the quarterback guy. Bump into anybody. The first question they're going to ask me, hey, what do you think about this quarterback class? The two most popular names were Jimmy Garoppolo and Mitchell Trubisky. And so you take what Washington did at 11 and way you take what Denver did at 9. Teams within the striking range of a quarterback. When I was doing shows like the PFF Too High show and you know, some other shows that I was did the whole Radio road gamut one day. Everybody's like, oh, maybe Denver at 9 is now, you know, an opportunity for, for Malik Willis. You know, they obviously need a quarterback. That would be a nice little environment for him to step into. And certainly in a couple of days after that, they went out and got Russell Wilson. You know, you've got teams that have decided, you know what, we're going to go get veteran options. And and, and here's where I want to sort of put a ball on this. The league is very skeptical about this quarterback class. The league is very skeptical that as talented as a Malik Willis might be and a Kenny Pickett and a Desmond Ritter and Corral and Strawn and on down the line, if you need somebody to start week one, you need a Mitchell Trubisky. You need a Jimmy Garoppolo. And as strange as that sounds, I think that's where the league views this class. They might be great in week eight. They might be great in week 10. They might be great in week one in 2023. But if you need somebody to start week one, you're going to need a veteran. And that's why you're seeing teams like Washington, and you're seeing teams like Pittsburgh, and you're seeing these other organizations sort of acquire a veteran player. Atlanta, they trade Matt Ryan. They're sitting there in the draft where they're in striking distance for a quarterback. They're sitting there at eight. They get Marcus Mariota. The league is very skeptical about these quarterbacks from a... Step right in and start perspective. Now, as we're going to talk about on the third segment of the show, I think there is some talent. I think there are some players that can play early in their career. But the league has its reservations. And so those were sort of the seismic events of the offseason. I think I've really sort of shaped things to this point. And yes, there's an aspect to that. me coming in in April and saying, hey, stuff that happened in January is really kind of important. And that's not lost on me. But what do they say? The, The... The wisdom of age, so to speak. I got some time to wise up, I guess. Up next, we're going to talk about the Patriots and what they've done this offseason, or as some might say, what they've not done. That's ahead here on a return installment of The SCO Show. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. Mark Schofield back with you now on a return installment of the SCO show. And I wanted to focus for a couple minutes now on what the Patriots have done so far this offseason. Now, the list of of transactions, it's certainly not like what we saw last offseason, right? Last offseason, the Patriots came in with a ton of cap space at their disposal and they spent it. This has been more of your traditional Bill Belichick, New England Patriots, free agency period, right? Not a lot of moves aggressively at the start. Sort of waiting to see how things pan out a little bit, nibbling around the edges, so to speak. No, they release Kyle Van Noy at the start of the cycle. They bring back Matthew Slater. Signed James Ferenc, uh, Bring back Matthew James White. Excuse me. Sign Terrence Mitchell, the corner, to a one-year contract. They bring in Ty Montgomery, the receiver slash running back, on a two-year deal. Uh, little trade. Chase Woodovich to the Browns for Matt Wilson. Another trade, Shaq Mason to Tampa Bay in exchange for a fifth-round pick. Interestingly enough, not the first time the Patriots sent a starting guard to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers did before Logan Mankins. And and the pick that they got, Trey Flowers, was who they drafted with the pick they got in that. And they had Shaq Mason to sort of step in. And that will lead us to what I might say about that pick at 21 in a few minutes here. Uh, Trent Brown back on a two-year deal. Super Bowl hero Malcolm Butler has returned. In recent days, Devontae Parker and Jabril Peppers. Peppers signed as a a free agent. And Devontae Parker acquired as part of a a later round pick swap. Certainly not the sort of splashy free agency period that maybe people were hoping for, that maybe people felt might happen after last year but this this is a, obviously a different cycle belichick talked about it a little bit he said look we signed a lot of those guys last year on multiple year deals so we're still sort of viewing them as as part of this class now with respect to peppers for example i wrote a bit over at usa today's touchdown wire about what he might be able to offer and i, I think there's a there's a couple of ways you could sort of look at where peppers could sort of step in and I think it's a, a way and a nod towards Adam Athleticism at the second level because I think at this point in his career, it's fair to say that Jabril Peppers is not a deep safety. He's not a, forget single high, he's not really like a half field safety. He's a guy that you're going to play down in the box in the second level. The idea of that edge safety position, a guy that is a safety but is really going to be sort of that Jamal Adams type of player that's going to be a pass rusher more than anything else, I think he gives you that. You certainly don't want him in man coverage situations, or at least not as much as you trust other players with it but zone awareness is there and that might be an eye towards where this team is going zone coverage obviously with jc jackson's departure there's names in the secondary there's bodies in the secondary but you might see that trend that we saw last year continue which is an eye towards more zone coverage on the defensive side of the ball and to that point one of the more interesting undercurrents to what the quarterbacks were talking about at the combine, Matt Corral and Carson Strawn in particular, when they were meeting with teams, a lot of the questions they were asked was about drop eight coverage. How did you guys deal with it? How did you deal with it schematically? What concepts did you call when you, you thought you were going to get drop eight? How did you read that stuff out? A smaller seismic event that might have more importance in the fall was the AFC championship game. And this is something that I've been kicking around in the old noggin, and I'll probably get to writing about once the draft is over. It might be my sort of off-season opus. I tend to write one that's a bit deeper. A couple years ago, it was Belichick and the future of defense with the three-safety stuff from Iowa State. Um, last offseason was sort of the future of offensive football and dealing with RPOs and dealing with the too high coverages. And I think this one, I probably shouldn't be saying this because interestingly enough, my buddy Seth Colleen and I tend to write the same sort of piece every offseason. And I don't want to give him the heads up that I'm going to do this because he'll probably beat me to the punch. But I think the next trend is drop eight. And it gets to that AFC Championship game when in the second half, Cincinnati was like, look, we're going to drop eight in coverage and force Mahomes to sort of be patient and read stuff out. And you saw how it ended. And so I think NFL teams, when they're talking to guys that face drop eight, like Matt Corral, like Carson Strong, they want to know, hey, how did you deal with it? Because we might face a lot of it next fall. We have to have an idea of how we're going to handle it. And so Peppers and his proficiency in more zone coverage situations, and the fact that you're going to be dealing now with Tyree Kill twice a year and all that fun stuff, you might see a lot more zone coverage from this team come the fall. And so it's been a quieter offseason. The Parker acquisition and trade, it gives them multiple pathways to figuring out the X, which I think is something that they need to do. Because sitting there right now, you're at least looking at, on paper, an 11 personnel too deep depth chart. At the X spot, you've got Parker and Harry as your two Xs. At the Z, you've sort of got Aguilar and Bourne. In the slot, you've got Myers, and perhaps maybe we see Montgomery there, maybe Malcolm Perry behind him, but it wouldn't surprise me if they add maybe two receivers in this draft class. Maybe 1X if they move on from Harry, and i got a name for you that we'll talk about on Wednesday's show, and maybe a slot later in the draft, and I've got some names there. I know a lot of people might say, look, man, give me Sky Moore at 54. He's not going to be there. At least I don't think. I think he might come off the board. I don't know if he gets into the first round. I've talked to some people that have him as a first-round player. But I'm a huge fan of his game. But I think you might be thinking later in the draft, Kyle Phillips, perhaps. Kahil Shakur, perhaps. As slot options for this team. Or maybe even a little later in this draft. we got some names there for you as well. Which, like I said, we'll talk about on Wednesday. But it's been a quieter off season from a Patriots perspective. But I do think that some of these moves, particularly with Peppers, are a window into where this team might be going. Because, as always, watch what they do, not what they say. You know, Belichick could, not like he's really addressed the media too much, but he might tell you, look, yeah, we're going to be a 21, we're going to be a, a man coverage heavy team. You sign signing some zone coverage guys. Tells you where they're actually headed. So those are just some quick thoughts on the Patriots offseason. Our decks will close things out, wind it down a little bit. I, I know obviously quarterback is not a need for the Patriots, but we'll talk quarterback. And we'll talk about maybe some options of 21 as we start thinking about this draft class. That's all ahead here on a on a return of sorts of this go show. Mark Schofield back with you now here on Monday, April 4th, 2020. And just a lay of the land ahead. We will be back Wednesday, like I said, talk a little. Little wide receiver. Next week, we'll have a show Monday. We'll do some mock draft stuff. If you want to get some some mocks in, please do. Get them in on the earlier side. I'm going to be traveling this weekend. Um, I'd like to record that show a little bit ahead of time. I mean, I could always record it from my hotel room with my family listening in, but I don't want to subject them. Bad enough, I'm subjecting all of you to about 40 minutes of me yammering about football. I don't want to subject them to it, too. Um, but get those mocks in on the earlier side. Um, let's talk about the quarterbacks for a bit. And I know, as I said... This is not a draft where I expect the quarterbacks to be on the Patriots to-do list. At least early, maybe late in the draft. And i got a name for you late in the draft that, that might be a little bit intriguing. But we still talk about the quarterback position because I'm, for better or worse, the quarterback guy. Or a quarterback guy. I can't say the quarterback guy. There are a lot of brilliant people talking about the quarterback position, not just me. Including Nate Tice, who, by the way, if you ever wanted a visual of the difference between a division 1 quarterback like Nate was and a division 3 quarterback like me try to get a picture of the two of us standing next to each other because I've got a chance to catch up with Nate in Indianapolis and he's a healthy healthy 6'4" 6'5" something like that and I'm I'm not and so I, I wish somebody had snapped a photo of him when we were talking on Radio Row because it was just a, a perfect dis- depiction of the difference between a guy that played and a guy that didn't. Let's put it that way. So the quarterback position in this draft class. It is a very much a, a pick-your-favorite-flavor pick your type of draft class. I, I think this is very much... This year's quarterback class is very much an argument for tiering quarterbacks as opposed to flat out ranking them. If you want to rank these guys, take the top six. There's a, a sort of consensus top six, and put them in any order you want to. You know, I'll try to do it alphabetically off the top of my head. Say, you know, Matt Corral, Sam Howell, Kenny Pickett, Desmond Ritter. Carson Strong, Malik Willis. And that's your general top 6, right? You want to tell me any one of those guys is your QB1? All right. I get it. You can make an argument for any of these guys, right? We'll take it in reverse order. Malik Willis, the athleticism, the arm talent. Of that seismic event we talked at the start of the show, that Bills Chiefs playoff game, if any of these guys could get to that level, Maybe you have the most confidence that Willis is the guy that could. Not that he will, but could. Strong. Might have the best or the second best arm in this class. And I don't know my buddy Matt Waltman thinks the world of him. I haven't read his quarterback section from the RSP, but I do believe he's in the Carson Strong QB1 camp. We did a show on Carson Strong. He is a huge fan of Carson Strong. My reservation with Carson Strong is this. He's Drew Bledsoe. Now, obviously, Drew Bledsoe was a quarterback that went, as we know, quite early in the draft. But that was a lifetime ago. If Drew Bledsoe was coming out right now, is he QB1 overall? Is he first player in the draft? I'm not so sure. And so the mobility is a question with strong. And that's before you get to the knee injury. Now, Strawn had a great answer for that at the Combine, said, look, you know, I didn't want to miss my final season with my guys, my doctors, my dad. They all told me to take a year off. I said, no, I want to play.' that's come up with a program, and they came up with a six-month program for him to play. But if we hear about a Combine medical recheck for Strong, you feel a little bit uneasier about his status. With Ritter, look, the case for Ritter is this. He's shown improvement year in and year out from a sort of mental perspective, from a you know, developmental and refined and advanced ability to play the position perspective. Ritter checks a lot of boxes. There are a lot of people. I mentioned a Tice, Seth Colina, Derek Clawson, a lot of other people that study the quarterback position. You're like Ritter's the guy. And there are moments you could see it. Watch his game, the conference championship game against Houston. They spin their safeties. He's reading it out perfectly. Watch him. He had a throw against, I think it was USF or UCF, one or the other where you know, you can see him get to that backside dig, which is a big part of where the NFL is right now, particularly those two high looks. You read something front side, you don't like it, you come back, you hit that backside dig, he can do that. You know, I, I think he's a very talented quarterback. Can he pick it? Huge strides. fairly athletic. Can create. Can handle pressure, provided he knows where it's coming from. Very accurate. You know, the difference between Pickett and Ritter is perhaps... Pickett's a bit more accurate of a passer. Ritter has missed some throws. Now, he's gotten better. He was better this past season than it was the two seasons prior with accuracy. And a lot of his misses people have pointed out. Nate Tice has pointed it out. Mike Renner has pointed it out in the PFF draft guide. A lot of his misses seem to be earlier in the game now. Maybe it's just a uh, jitter. Uh, he's amped up for whatever reason. He's missing early, but he sort of settles in. But I think Pickett's a more accurate quarterback. Of course, the knock with Pickett is... A lot of people point to the hand size, and there were some fumble issues here and there, and he did have a fumble a couple of years ago against, I believe it was Virginia Tech in a weather situation where he just sort of coughed up the ball in the pocket. But I think now that he's got the glove and sort of figured it out, I think he's gotten better there. Howell, the case for Howell is this. If you if you run a vertical offense, man, he can give it to you. Great deep ball thrower. You know, My question is, he's, he's kind of Jalen Hurts. He showed a lot more as a runner this past year with the talent train that they had at UNC. And he was their second lead in Russia. I think he's very much Jalen Hurts and the nines, post routes, and run stuff. He can give you that. Is that going to be enough? Is that worthy of a first-round pick? I don't know. And then there's Matt Corral, who, you know, the case for him is the athleticism. Very quick release, compact release. Kind of a guy that showed you at moments... He can do some things to translate to the next level. I think, and I've made this case on other shows, there's a parallel between his evaluation and Justin Herbert's evaluation. Not that they're the same quarterback. Not that I can ex- we can expect Matt Corral to have a Justin Herbert-type career, at least early. But if you think back to Justin Herbert his evaluation, was, what do I do with this offense? They're asking him to throw bubbles and screens and all, all sorts of weird stuff. What are we doing? That's Matt Corral. And that's that offense. How is his... Game going to translate coming out of a Lane Kiffin offense where there were a lot of simplified things for him to an offense that's going to ask him to do a little bit more. Now, if you dig deep, like two of my, well, one of my favorite plays were a game against uh, Mississippi State. One of their favorite concepts, you got orbit into a front side high-low. You've got a deep out and a swing orbit, and it's just a high-low read on that curl-flat defender. Mississippi State was ready for it. Curl-flat defender stays low, you know, that... Deep outside defender squeezes the out route. So he's going to come off of it. Then he's got two end cuts from the left side. Doesn't like those. Gets it to his back to the swing on the left side. So he's going one, two, three, four, five with the progression read. But as he's doing it, and it's full field, right sideline to left, the eyes and the feet are tied in perfectly. Perfectly. So as he's working, you know, high, low on the right, first in cut, second in cut, check down on the left, the feet are with him. Eyes and feet and hips and shoulders all tied in sync. It's one play. It's a very small sample size. But could he replicate that at the next level? Because that's the kind of stuff that's going to help him translate. And so there are cases to be made up for all of these guys. From where I come down on them, Willis is one because of the potential. Pickett and Ritter are two, three because of I, I like their floors. I think if you're going to take the swing early, you swing on Willis. Maybe it's a 10% chance he hits. You take that swing. If you don't feel comfortable taking that swing, Pickett and Ritter, I think, are guys that can play early. Matt Corral, I like at four, Strong, five, Howell, six. I never quite got there with Howell. I know there are people that have in the PFF. Mike Renner has him QB1. Okay. I just made a case for him. I like the other five guys more. In terms of the guy that's next, Skylar Thompson, I have had people tell me, people that don't have a dog in the fight. He's QB1 on their board. And people whose opinions I trust. I'm like, yeah, he's QB1. If I'm drafting anybody in this class, it's him. Especially if you're telling me I can get him at like 170 in the fifth round. (laughs) I'll do that any day. It's just the problem with him is there's an injury history. It's not a ton of work. But if the Patriots decide to take flyer late, I like Skylar Thompson at 170. Maybe hey, it's two oh one, because he might still be there. I've talked to other people who are like, "I'm not touching that." And I've talked to people who are at the East West Shrine Bowl where he was out, and no, I'm he had a bad week of practice. I'm I'm out, so he might be there. As far as what the Patriots might do at twenty one, I just want to close with this. Now that they've added Parker, I think they have a lot of options at their disposal. Two position I do think that we have to think about, linebacker and corner. I think receiver is deep enough, 54, 85, 127, 158. You might add talent and receiver. But corner, corner is something to keep an eye on. And at 21, in terms of the corners, I mean, obviously, look, if you're going to tell me that a guy like, you know, Gardner or Booth or Stanley are going to be there, it's a run to the podium situation for all three of those guys. Uh, I'm high on all three. Gardner's my one, Stanley my two, Booth my three, but I'm, I'm high on all three of them. But assuming they're not there at 21, give me Trump McDuffie at 21. Watch him match a crosser, work through traffic, and hold it to no gain on a third and four which he did over and over. Oh, just a huge, huge fan of his game. Then, of course, there's linebacker. I I, I still think at some point they'll probably address linebacker. I know they've got some younger guys. I I know that they've made some additions there, but it feels like a Belichick kind of move. Lloyd and Dean, I I think, impact the passing game in very different ways, but I'm fans of their game. And if you're going to give me one of those guys at 21, hey, I'm all for it. And then, of course, there's obviously the interior offensive line, which might be a little bit of a need now. Maybe, look, maybe the Patriots have decided that, hey, you know, we moved on from Shaq Mason. And part of it might be the fact that we sort of like Michael Wenu best on the inside. We're going to slide him into guard. You know, obviously, you've got Witten Brown as your tackles. But maybe they decide, look, we got now James France at the other guard spot. Zion Johnson. I said at one point when I wrote about it this offseason, maybe put him in a pen. Maybe not full-on Sharpie, but at least some pen. Kenny Green, slide it. If Kenny Green's staring you in the face at 21, I think it's a run to the podium situation. But we're going to talk a little more next week about some mock draft stuff. Like I said, send your mocks in. Also, as I talked with my boys, Murph, uh, Steve, and, of course, the lovely Claire at One Patriot's Place, A couple of weeks ago, a couple of years ago, I know we had sort of the, it was the Michigan fullback. We called that, you know, the Michigan fullback draft spot. We have something similar this year. Just to keep it in mind, that pick at 209 or 211, depending on, you know, different boards have their last pick at either a. Bo Melton from Rutgers. That is your Bo Melton spot this year. It's 209, 211, their last pick in the draft. Something tells me they're going to do that. So keep that in mind when you put together your marks again. You can send them in via, you know, Twitter DM, email, at Um, You can drop them in the Scotia Slack channel where I'm poking around here from time to time. Um, but yeah, look, it's, it's good to get back in the saddle. Thanks again to those uh, who reached out, wondering where I was. Um, they just stable so I can get some time to do these shows now. But until Wednesday, friends, stay safe. Check on your neighbors, check on your loved ones. Wash those hands, and when you do, sit along. Bless those Patriots rain. Down in Foxborough.